comments about him this morning, acknowledging his greatness among us, his love for us. Powerful, powerful stuff. Amen? He is good. His mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus. I saw the the dad go by. Oh, he's dropping off the old. Okay, thought maybe the new one was here. <laughs> I said to Josiah, uh, I said you're a, you're a big brother again. You have a baby sister. What do you think? He said, she's really soft. <laughs> I just love letting kids say what they want to say. She's really soft. Celebrating this morning, um, wanted to just let let us know that uh, I understand that John Day's Lighthouse, John Don Day's Lighthouse, has joined with the Hastings, Gary and Shirley Hastings cell and Lighthouse, which meets on Wednesday. So congratulations to you guys for you guys for the merger. And the healthy uh, move there, I think that's going to be an awesome moment. Uh, also want to introduce a couple of guys, Jaden, and well, I'll let you do the talking. How's that? We have a, you have a microphone here somewhere. You know which one to use. Uh, this is Jaden, and Jaden is a new lighthouse keeper for us this week, launching a new cell group, a new lighthouse, and uh, I'll let you uh, tell them about it there. Let's celebrate, celebrate this one. Amen. Christian church here until what was it last July at the tent revival um, it was it Chris Clock showed up here at the church and he was just amazing his voice God just spoke through him and opened my heart and my ears and changed my life and just getting with Joe's cell group and meeting with Jaden afterwards going through different books that they supplied us here at the church um, changed my life around big time and honestly to me I don't think it would have never happened if um, Jaden had called me up for an altar call and I was struggling trying to quit smoking until he called me up and Christ talked to me and told me you know what if you want to quit come to me and I did one morning during worship, got down on my knees and asked God to help me with that addiction. And since then, I really haven't picked up a cigarette. Can't even stand the smell of it. God is just awesome, and he's changed me totally. You know, I have so much love and able to live my life through him and he's just gets me through day by day and helps me out at home at work and I just praise him and give him all the glory but yes me and Jaden are starting a young men's group it's something that really touched me that from what I've gone through to be able to help younger men that are struggling 
that would like to get back in the Word and know that you're not alone out there, that there is someone else out there that's willing to help you, that cares about us. And um, I just love to the fellowship and to be able to be there to help in need as God has helped me. So uh, our group's going to be meeting at Anthony Ellsworth's house on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock. And they'll be in the bulletin now and on the wall out there. And if you know of any young men or if you would desire to come be part of this fellowship and grow in the Lord, then you are more than welcome. Thank you. We rejoice also in that Kayla Fangler is on her way to South Africa via Texas. And uh, I found out that when she left that this was her very first plane ride ever. (laughs) And I thought, well, the Texas one was just a sample for going to Africa. I mean, if you can take the Africa flight, you can take anything. That's a long one. And... uh, but she's on her way, uh, thanks to the body of Christ, uh, raised every bit of finances that was necessary, and um, the Lord just provided everything, plus an additional $300 above, which which we learned in last week was that there was another young person that was going to the same trip that was just about $300 short. And so we just passed that right on to them, and uh, now the whole thing's coming together. The one exciting part that I learned last night about Kayla leaving for Africa is that when she got to the airport in Ontario to go to Texas, she called back and said, I forgot my passport. First trip, forget the most important thing. You know, like somebody said last night, hey, forget the blow dryer, but don't forget the passport. Amen. But, uh, you know, thanks to FedEx. We're able to get that probably to Texas ahead of her. And she'll have it and off she'll go. And she'll be back in a couple weeks transformed. When she gets back, don't be surprised if she really can't articulate what's happened. Because if you've ever gone, how many have been overseas, gone on a mission trip? Everybody should go somewhere, uh, I think. And what happens is you come back revolutionized inside. And the words don't come easy. First time you're in a restaurant and you see them hauling off plates of food, you want to grab it and say, what are you doing? Wasting all that. And you, you just have a different view, not just of food, but of the need of mankind for the gospel of Jesus. So we're proud of her for going. Look forward to her getting back. Um, it would be good to see another life changed. I remember the first time I got back on the, uh, in the U.S. after landing a plane in Latvia, right after the Iron Curtain fell, and we got into the what's now called the CIS states, the, the old USSR. We were landing this plane in Latvia. And I'm looking at the runway thinking, this, there's holes this big. I mean, just, oh, that's going to tear the wheels right off of this thing. We're never going to live through this. <laughs> and it was kind of the same the whole time we were there. We landed here. It was one of those moments where you want to get out and kiss the ground. If you want to turn with me this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, I hope to challenge us. Maybe I'll just preach to me and you can listen in. Would that be all right? Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk about a biblical, an Old Testament, Testament example today, the story of Lot. But before we go there, I want to read from Ephesians 4.11 where it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He himself being Jesus. And it's talking about the ascension of Jesus. And when he ascended, he gave gifts to the church. These gifts were in the form of people, leaders, anointings, offices, if you will. These five, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. 
Why did he give the church these gifts? Verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Jesus gave these gifts to the church, to the body of Christ, that we might be spiritually edified, that we might be equipped, that we might be strengthened, encouraged, blessed, if you will, but seriously equipped, made fit, prepared, trained, perfected, if you will, fully qualified for service. These are all uh, definitions of the word equipped. In the classical sense of the Greek, when you, if you had a broken bone and you equipped it, it would mean that you would set it back into place so it was functional and no longer out of joint or out of place or broken. Jesus gave these gifts to us, the body of Christ, for our fitting so we'd be able to do the work of ministry. This has been read incorrectly for years, I believe, where that we have taught in, in mainstream, if you will, Christianity over the years that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher were supposed to do all the work of ministry. And as I testified earlier about Pastor Aaron de la Borda in Tescoco, he was one of those guys that bought into that, and he was a pastor who did everything himself. When we were there years ago, we would go to these night meetings and Bible studies that he had going, and, and he would be in every one of them, even if they were 40 to 60 miles away from his house. He would have a group meet in a home, but he would always show up and, and teach it. And we, we would come down and sit in those meetings and say, come on, I want to take you to this, this home meeting. And I'm thinking cell groups. And I get in the cell. He says, why don't you share in the cell tonight? And I said, okay. And I would start. And, and within minutes, he would take over and start teaching. And so our team would set up against him. We, don't ever let this be translated. Don't send this to Mexico. As we would talk as a team, we'd sit in the cell and we'd say, okay, now when Aaron jumps in, elbow him out. Ask another open question to somebody across the room. And we kept trying to say, stop it. You've got a room full of leaders. You've got a group full of equippers here that could manage the task. You see, you get your car and go home and let them loose. Because there's gifted ministries in the body of Christ everywhere. And we have been doing it like this for years to where you know one person leads and does all the work. And then we hear things like... Uh, was it Pareto's law, the 80-20 rule, that 80% of the people just sit and 20% of the people do all the work? And we accept those things. And that's not how the body of Christ... I don't have 20% of my body working this morning. There's a whole bunch of it doing something. Huh? It's creating 50,000 new, 50, new cells every few minutes and uh, just about the same amount are dying off and all that's going on while I'm standing here. It's The whole thing works better when it's functioning. And every, they tell me that with these ligaments, not just the muscles that we have, but the ligaments, the little wiry looking things you find in your body, that if you were to detach them, they're like giant rubber bands that hold the joints together. That if you were to disconnect them, you would just be a pile of bones. You'd fall apart. This verse, these verses tell us that the equipping ministry of the church is there to make sure that all the ligaments are functioning. You are a ligament. You are a muscle. You're a piece of the body of Christ. Every part of us, all of us are supposed to be functional in some way, lending to the building up and the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to talk this morning about spiritual pursuit, aggressive discipleship, growing up into Christ. How many of you feel like you've arrived? You've all grown up. You're done. Uh-huh. No, but the, the equipping ministry of the body is there to help us to grow up into the head, Christ. He's the head, we're the body. We're supposed to become mature. How many of you say you're more mature this year than you were last year? 
How do you feel more mature in the first six months of this year than last year? Come on, we're moving forward. Hey man, we might be failing, but we're landing on our nose. Which means we're heading the right direction. Right? We fell forward. We fail forward all the time, but we're moving ahead. It's been my heart's desire that through this year we'd all be able to say by the end of it that we are more spiritually mature than we were when we started the year. We've got a better grip on the kingdom of God. We've got a better understanding of doctrine, good teaching. We're more stable. We're more equipped. That's my goal for every one of us. And I feel like here we are in July. We're six months down the road. And I can testify that some of us are making that progress, right? A lot of us are. Almost all of us. There's an old Gaelic proverb. You've heard it. You just didn't know it was Gaelic. It says there's three kinds of people in the world. There are those who make things happen. And there are those who watch things happen. And the third group that says, what happened? (laughs) Those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, those that say, what happened? Well, I'd just like for you to determine your own posture this morning. Which group are you in? It's my hope that you become one of those that's in the group of making things happen. You have an aggressive approach. You have a forward posture towards your own spiritual development. Let's go to Genesis chapter 19. Let's use Lot as our illustration this morning. And as you're turning to Genesis 19, got a little ring here, uh, Mr. Soundman, that's making me crazy. Help me. Help me. Thank you. Help us. Genesis 19, and let me read to you. Don't turn there. Let me just listen to this from Romans chapter 15. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Okay? Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of Scripture, might have hope. So this passage about Lot was written before to give us some hope. Verse 12, Genesis 19. The men said to Lot, now these men were angels. You'll recall that earlier these guys had showed up at Abraham's tent had a little dinner there and then began to move down they said we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah to hear of this cry that's been coming up before God if it's as bad as it sounds then we're going to destroy the place and the angels begin to move off and there are three and Abraham stays with one and that one is what we call a Christophany it's an appearance of God And he begins the dialogue with God, face-to-face, person-to-person. And he intercedes. This is one of the great passages in Genesis 18 about intercession. And I'm not teaching all that this morning, but the summary goes like this. that Abraham says, well, what if you're going to go down there and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Will you destroy them along with the bad ones? He says, well, no, for 50 I won't. Well, what about for 40? And... uh, Okay, for 40. Well, what about for 30? What if there's only 30? What if there's only... Finally, he said, what if there's only 10? He goes, okay, if there's only 10, I'll save the 10. And then he parts company. Abraham is interceding for Lot, his relative and his family. So now the angels have shown up and they're in town. And you can find that in chapter 19, verse 1. It says, now the two angels came to Sodom. But in verse 12, the men said to Lot... Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of this city. And while he lingered, 
the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. And by then the angels were out of hands. Doesn't say that, but I figured that out. I did the math. <laughs> they took the hand of his, his hand, his wife's hand, the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So when it, it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. It was too obvious to make the message title, Lot's Lot. But I did it anyway. I want to give you about five points this morning from this as an illustration. The first one being that we must have a biblical worldview. A biblical, spiritualistic worldview. I see it this way, and I talk in visual terms. I talk about I see this, and it appears to me, and so my terminology is visual. Being so visual, for me to understand a biblical worldview, which is also visual, I tend to want to close my eyes to what I can see. So if I could close my eyes to the things I can see, if I could disassociate for a moment from the senses and the natural world and say, what does the Bible tell me about what's going on around me? Here we've got angels from heaven talking about spiritual warfare and destruction and a supernatural God and a conversation between God and man, that being Abraham, angels talking to men, There's a spiritual dimension that we can't see. We close our eyes and we understand Paul, when he wrote, said, there are principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a wrestling going on all the time. Good versus evil. You've seen it depicted in cartoons where the guy's trying to make up his mind and over here's a little angel and over here's a little demon sitting on each shoulder. And they're both vying for his attention. That's a depiction of what goes on in the spirit realm. We need a spiritualistic, biblical worldview. We need to understand things like this are happening all the time. And that God is working among us. The first thing that we can derive from this passage is that just like Lot, we need to understand where we are today is not our permanent home. Lot, I need to get you out of here. This place is going to be destroyed. Look with me, if you would, in Revelation. You know, like that old song. We win, we win. Hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book and we win. So go all the way to Revelation. Chapter 3. And verse 12. The Lord Jesus, speaking to the church, says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. There's a permanent place where we're going to be, and we don't have to leave. We'll go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. There's a new Jerusalem coming. In chapter 21, same book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. 21 verse 2, Then I, John, the author of Revelation, says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, sorrow, crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Biblical worldview tells us that this is not our home. But some of us are setting up like we're staying. Uh huh. Come on. We were buying houses and lands and getting more stuff, and then we got storage units for the stuff we can't fit in our stuff factories. And, you know, we're just, we are doing it. We got a lot. 
I mean, we've got homes, and we've got portable homes. We've got motor homes and tents and campers and boats. And I mean, we're, we're just delighting in ourselves, and we're all hanging out in John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And you're trying to fill yours up. Like you're staying. We're not staying. This is a temporary dwelling place. A biblical worldview is like, Lot, Lot, you got to get out of here. This place is going to burn. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's build a little more. After I get going, you start saying amen a little bit, all right? Because when you do, then I'll feel like I'm preaching. Not just yelling at you. There's a difference. You know, if I yell at you, you don't say anything back, then it's yelling. But if you say something back, it's a little more like preaching. Help me preach. Hebrews 11, verse 13. Now, 11, you know, is what we call the, the chapter of faith, the hall of faith in the Bible. you got Abraham and Sarah and Enoch and Abel and Noah and all these people of faith, right, that are, are listed and talked about. And we, by the time we get to verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Even these hall of faithers, by their testimony, said, we saw, we've seen it, it's out there. But they died believing, hadn't received it yet. If you were to die today, you would die not having received it yet. The Bible says they're not going to be made perfect without us. And one day it's all going to come together and we're going to live in a new place. I'm not going to try and get to all the eschatology figured out here today and what it's going to look like in the new heavens and the new earth, but there is some new stuff coming. And this is not our home. This is a tent. This is a, a nomadic lifestyle we have. John 17, I, I like to tie together verse 11 and verse 14. Jesus is praying for you and for me in John 17. The high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's talking to the Father about his disciples. In verse 9 he says, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they're yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world. He's talking to the Father. I'm no longer in the world. But these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And when he arrives in verse 14, it says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now I've got underlined in verse 11 the phrase, these are in the world. In verse 14 I've underlined, they are not of the world. Almost sounds the same, but slow it down. We are in the world, but we are no longer of the world. There's a difference in those two little two-letter words. I'm here, but I'm not of this place. My biblical worldview says my eternity is somewhere else. Your eternity is somewhere else. Don't live for just this now peace. Live in such a way that you're forecasting like the Hall of Faithers that we're not staying here. This isn't it. Finally, Second Peter. Throw the dramatic punchline here on this first piece. Second Peter, chapter three, verse ten. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be just like Sodom and Gomorrah burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Meaning, the longer he waits, the more salvation happens. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This last, it's all going to burn. How should you live? You, don't get distracted. Don't get led away by the error. Grow in the grace and knowledge. Have an aggressive discipleship about your life. Have a plotted Goal-driven, if you will. I'm not trying to get into this, you know, the corporate goal-driven, uh, we can make it successful kind of an attitude. But, you know, most people don't have goals. In fact, I brought along these statistics right here from a friend of mine named John Elzinga. He wrote a book on sailing the seven seas of life. Kind of a spinoff on Covey's eight habits and things like that. But in my notes, he says... of people in the world, Christians included, do not have written goals. 1%, that's one out of 100, that means probably one of us in this room, have written goals and review them daily. Now, let's take a poll. Who has written goals that you review every day? Oh, we're above average. I have goals that I review, but they're not written. No, no. (laughs) Written. Okay, I don't. This is part of preaching. Emphasis. Goals. These are written. These are written goals. There we go. Good. Good point. Jewel two seventeen. Good. Biblical worldview, spiritualistic worldview, angels talking to men, God talking, walking with men, God active now, the kingdom of God come, will of God be done among us. God has not disassociated himself with us. There is activity going on in the spirit world, and we need to have a biblical worldview that says, I'm not parking here, this isn't the end. I'm not setting up camp like I'm living here until eternity rolls. Why would I want to have the bigger house, paint it nice, do all that stuff? Not that that's wrong. Just saying if it's your focus, you're off task just enough to miss the mark down at the end of the run. Right? And you say, oh, my hopes are in all that. And the promise of the Bible, which you know is true and will happen just the way God says it will, it's all going to burn. Doesn't mean you shouldn't mow your lawn or take care of your house. or No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means don't have your heart there. Right? Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. You want to put your heart where your treasure is? Treasure the future. Treasure the long distance run. Get away from this instantaneous personal gratification lifestyle that's around us all the time and develop a biblical worldview. The second view and the thing I'd like to point out in Lot's situation is that when you're struggling with that, because the angels came to him the next morning and said, you got to get out of town. Man, move it. And it says, Lot lingered. Oh, but my house. 
oh, I just got the garden in. I just, my wife doesn't really want to go. I tried to blame, this is like Adam and Eve, you always blame it on the wife. He lingered. Oh, sometimes we linger, don't we? God challenges us to let go, move on. Oh, and God, the Bible says this about Lot, because God was merciful, the angels took him by the hand and got him out of town. God will be merciful to us too. He is merciful to us. God, take me by the hand. I, I'm lingering. I'm, I'm not as quick to move as you want. Well, get me out of here. Take me. Lead me out. Why? Because it's your mercy to me. You know what's coming and I can't see it yet. But if you'll lead me, I can at least follow. And if you'll grab me by the hand, my chances of going with you are way better. I remember this became my kind of my standard answer. People say, what do you believe about the end times? Jesus coming back? Is it going to happen this way or that way or that? And I'd say, listen, I, I, I know this. If I keep my hand in His, whatever He does, I'm going with Him. If I let go of Him, then there are some problems. God's mercy will take you by the hand and lead you out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us. You're restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same I speak as to children, you also be open. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, and I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Are you experiencing that? Are you the temple of God? Is he living in you? Come on, say yes. Yes. By faith, say something. Yes. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He's in you. Amen. He's given us of his Holy Spirit. He lives in us. We're the temple. Therefore, the old saying is, whenever you find a therefore in scriptures, you want to back up ahead of it and find out what the therefore is there for. We just read that. It says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what's unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And that's just going to be the way it is. Because he said so. But the challenge is come out from and then be a lot. Come out and be separate. Let me take you by the hand of my mercy and get you out of the situation you've been in. Let me get you disconnected from those things that are going to burn, those things that are temporary, those things that are not lasting. The lifestyle that's being promoted around us constantly. Where does it lead? Where does it lead? And boy, I can just see about six tangents right there. And I want to take every one of them. I'm not going to do it. I refuse. But they're still there. Come out and be separate. What else did he say? Number three. Don't look back. Don't look back. Ooh. Exodus 16, and we're not going to turn there, and Numbers 11. You might want to jot these down and read about them. This is the children of Israel. They're two months out of Egypt. Two months, 60 days after being 400 years in bondage to Egypt. They're just 60 days out. And what are they saying? Well, at least back there we had leeks and garlic. At least back there we sat around pots of meat. And back there we had... And back there we had... And they're longing to go back to Egypt. And I know... You frown, I see you frowning, you're shaking your heads. It's unbelievable that they would do such a thing. But when you got delivered, when God came and took you by His mercy and drove you and pulled you out of the stuff you were in, didn't you look back a little bit? Didn't you go back every now and then, visit? Excuse me, I'm spitting on you. Now we're really trying to preach. Spitting. We can't condemn them. We've looked back. The problem is when you look back with longing. Lot's wife. 
remember Lot's wife. Pillar of salt. I can't explain that. But I know what happened. I suppose if you go to Israel today, there's probably a pillar of salt with a sign on it. Lot's wife. Probably have to buy a ticket to see it. It's part of the tour. Like when they take take you down to the Good Samaritan Hotel. Say this is where the man brought the Good Samaritan brought the guy that fell on the road to Jericho. Right here. Twenty five dollars we'll show it to you. It was just a parable. It wasn't there. It's a story. Don't look back. I read Romans a moment ago, but there's a, a companion passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that comes to mind here that says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Right? They died. A whole generation died off in the wilderness so that the younger generation could go in and possess the land. Why? Because of unbelief, lack of acceptance. And let God take them by the hand and lead them out. I mean, 40 years, it's an 11-day journey. The distance, 11 days, 40 years. You know, there's tons of jokes about it. Like nobody was willing to stop and ask for directions. And somebody dropped a quarter. And, you know. But verse 6 says, these things become, became our examples to the intent. An example is therefore an intent. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Don't look back. Don't long for the old life. Read Paul and Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians. And you'll hear him say, put off these things. Put them off and put on these things. And there's lists. They're not exhaustive lists, but they're long ones. Sometimes, you know, put off adultery and fornication and thieving and lying and stealing and blah, blah, blah. And put on love and acceptance and care for one another. All of that can be summed up in put off the old man, put on Christ. If you put on Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We just said that. He lives in you. If you put on Christ and allow him to live out through you, All those things will be part of your lifestyle. You will love people. You will be patient with others. You will find ways of building others up. You'll put others first and not take the place yourself. You'll be like Jesus. You are like Jesus. Reach up and go like this. Pat yourself on the back. I'm like Jesus. Come on. You have faith. Those of you who can't do that, go like this. (laughs) Slap yourself. (laughs) Say, be like Jesus. That was spontaneous insanity. Put off the old man, put on Christ. Listen, listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 3. I know you've heard these things. I'm trying to put them together in a different package today a little bit. 3.12, Philippians. Paul has just talked about all of his credentials. You know, if anybody's got bragging rights, he says, I do. If you've got confidence in the flesh, I'm more. So, verse 5, I'm circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained for me, to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
Listen to this. Verse 12. Not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended or laid hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. I'm not going to live in the rearview mirror. I'm not going to look back and long for what it used to be. Forget the leeks and the garlic. Forget the pots of flesh we used to sit around. Forget the bricks you used to have to make without straw. Forget living under the hand of the evil taskmaster. Satan himself and your flesh, which drive you into bondage. Forget that stuff. I'm pressing this way. In your case, you're going that way. (laughs) Forward. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. As far as we've come, let's maintain our position. Let's hold the line. And then let's press forward. Let's quit looking back. This is the picture of the lot situation. You've got to get out of here. It's going to burn. We've got to get out of here. This is going to burn. Jesus has provided us not just an escape route, but a salvation that will last forever. An eternity with Him. And when that all comes together, we're going to watch this thing melt. That's going to be spectacular. And I don't have to speculate on how it's going to happen. I can't even speculate on how wide the universe is. God's enormous. He's immense. He's powerful. He's almighty. He says that's the way it's going to happen. That's the way it's going to happen. And we're going to be there to watch. Talk about fireworks. God's mercy has led us out, just like Lot. Get out of it. He led us out of our connection to the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world anymore. We don't live by the schematic and the diagramming of the structure and the culture around us. Jesus said, Father, take care of them. The world hates them because they don't, they don't mix with the world well. We should be irritating some people. <laughs> I mean, we should be making some people nervous. Don't you think? I mean, it's the joy of the Lord on you to come around and go, oh, man, I just hate it when that person's around. They're just so ugh. always whistling and laughing. And, what is it with them? Irritate them. Salt does that. Light does that. There's darkness around. Turn the lights on. Freak it out. Have an effect. Press forward. They also told him, escape for your life. Escape for your life. You're going to go to the mountains, they told him. I'm going to take you to that mountain. You know what I like about that mountain, he pointed out? There's a goal in mind. I mentioned most of us don't have written goals. How about how are you doing on growing? How are you about how am I, should ask. I told you I was gonna preach to myself and you could listen. So how am I on things like developing my spiritual maturity? Not just coasting on what I have. Listen to these statistics. See, we were talking about reading with John Elzinga. Who's reading? that is learning something these days. 58% of the United States adult population never reads another book after high school. 58%. of college graduates never read another book. I couldn't believe these things. I had a guy, John, come here, you got to talk to me. I can't, I can't even accept these numbers. He said, well, keep going. 80% of United States families did not buy or read a book last year. 80% of United States families. Who's growing? Who's learning? 70% of United States adults have not been in a bookstore in the last five years. Anybody above average? Good. 
Now this is the one that kills me. Okay, the next one is the one that comes after me. And I know some of you are in the camp with me on this. 57% of new books are not read to completion. Not read to completion. How many books have you started and never finished? Come on. I mean, there's 12 chapters. I did 10. But those last two were just... I've got a whole shelf full of stuff like that. Now I said, John, where are you getting these numbers? He said, they're not mine. They come from the Jenkins Group. You can go look at it online, JenkinsGroup.com, J-E-N-K-I-N-S. Gerald Jenkins. They assimilate numbers like this. Now, with the low numbers of who's reading, you have to ask, well, the readers, what are they reading, right? 53 to 60% of all the books being read are fiction. They're a dream world. What does the Bible say in Hosea 4.6? My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Ooh, ow. John, I'm not reading you anymore. I have to call him this week and complain. We need some goals about aggressive discipleship. What am I doing to grow? What am I doing purpose, on purpose, purposefully to grow? Am I fellowshipping? Am I reading the word? Is this the list, as, uh, as uh, Gary pointed out, of our written goals? Is this it? Are we pursuing, like Paul said, pressing on, chasing after Christ? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You know, after the Hall of Faith in chapter 11, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, um, you know, let us look to Jesus, right? Run the race with perseverance. Race, you don't run backwards, you run forwards. (laughs) You run in this direction to win. Run so that you'll win. Run with your eyes fixed on Jesus, it says. Looking to Jesus. Interesting, the word afareo, if I get it right, in the Greek says, looking unto Jesus means looking so much at Christ that you have to look away from everything else. Anybody ever walked the railroad tracks? Have you ever walked railroad tracks? Looks like the train wasn't coming. <laughs> How about balance beams? Anybody done the balance beam? Some of you gymnasts. What's the trick? How about a curb? Walk the curb? How many times you fall off? That's why some of you only did railroad tracks and curbs. Because you thought the balance beam's too high off the ground to fall from. And what happens is you get on that, you get started. It's amazing to me to watch those gymnasts on the thing like it's a whole floor. And you look, you start looking down at your feet and you just start like this. You're wobbling and you're trying to catch yourself, right? But if you looked about 20 feet down or at the other end, you can just walk right down the middle of it. No problem. Try it. Just take one of the lines in the parking lot. See if you can walk the line. If you look at your feet, you'll, you'll stagger. You'll move back and forth. But if you look down there a little ways and keep your eyes fixed, look away from everything else. Don't watch your feet. Watch the line. Your body will line up and you will, you'll accomplish it. Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus. Looking away from everything else. See, the goal of the, of the equipping ministry of the church here this morning is to try and do a radical shift for everybody that's listening. So get radical over here. Because we know that by about Tuesday, you're going to flop back over here. We need to rake you sideways and say, come on. Try and inspire you and motivate you in some way to pursue Christ so passionately. That you'll stretch out in that direction and you won't retreat very far. And the next time you'll do it again. And a year later you'll go, boy, I am much further ahead in my Christian experience and my maturity level than I was last year. Why? Because I had some purposeful movement forward. I've been stretched all the way. Like the children of Israel in the wilderness, you know, wanting to go back, looking back, we longing for Egypt. When what they had was manna every day from God. 
provision. Nehemiah chapter 9, there's a couple of verses that say, For 40 years he took care of them in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't wear out. And he fed them every day. 40 years of supernatural care. We have the same thing. We may not have manna from heaven in that sense, but we, we certainly have this. We can feed every day on our relationship with the Father through the person of His Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be with Him regularly, daily, purposefully. The question is, are you really doing it? Am I really doing it? Are we pursuing Christ? Is, is He our goal? Are we wanting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I hope so. I hope that's our measure. Growing up into the head, the fullness of Christ. Measuring the stature of the fullness of Christ. Each one of us have the opportunity to do this. I just want to encourage you to do it. Be like Lot. Don't be like Lot's wife. Get out. Follow. Pursue. Don't look back. Be like the children of Israel that made it in. Be like Josh and Caleb. You know, they said, we're going we're gonna to move forward. We're going to believe God. We hear the good report. So you have to ask yourself a question. What are you doing to press on to know Him? And I'll just close it with this, and maybe it'll be kind of humorous, but for me it's a reminder. 32 years ago, about 33 years ago actually now, I was leading worship in this congregation. We're in a different building downtown. And into the church walked these two girls. And they sat kind of right where you guys are sitting right there. And I was being spiritual. Before church started, you know, standing around looking spiritual. And I glanced out at those two girls and I thought, Jeff, if you're going to take one of those girls out for lunch, which one would it be? So I picked the one on the left. Turned out to be Peggy. I want to tell you, that was a good pick. But what happened after that was I had she had to slow down long enough for me to catch her. And I had to run fast enough to catch her. And some of you have heard the stories. I mean, she lived in L.A. and I lived here and I would get off work at 5 and by 5.15 I was showered and on the road to L.A. And I could make the trip in 2 hours and 20 minutes to her doorstep or to church on Wednesday night. And I'd be standing in the parking lot and wait for church to get out. She'd come out. What are you doing here? Oh, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. (laughs) 9 o'clock at night. And then I'd drive home one, two in the morning, we were getting pulled over in San Bernardino one, one night, the wee hours. And the officer pulls me over and says, ah, you're not drunk. I can tell you're not drunk because you're not weaving. But you are falling asleep because you go fast and then you slow down. You go fast and then you slow down. You're waking up and driving. I thought I just wanted to pull you over and get your window down and wake you up. What he didn't know is I'd had my window's winter and I had my window down all the way from Ontario <laughs> trying to wake myself up. And uh, there were uh, more than once out here in the desert when I woke up bonsaiing through the (laughs) seeing telephone poles and thinking, where's the road? (laughs) And finally decided that marrying her was safer (laughs) than running up and down and doing a... But there was a moment where I desired to pursue her. It's a relationship, right? It's worth doing. Chase her. Catch her. At least he made me think I did. And now we've been together for 32 years. The relationship is working. We're going to hang on to it. We're going to keep working at it. Uh, I have to work at it to keep her, right? Right? You know, guys, you know, once you catch the bus, you don't have to chase it. Not true. You've got to chase the bus. And with God, how much more is it important that if he's the lover of our soul and we're the lover of him in return... That we pursue him. Mm-hmm. Father help us to pursue you. Help us to determine. 
in what ways we've grown up into Christ this year more than ever. Father, help me, I pray in Jesus' name, to press on to know you, to let go of the temporary stuff so that I can apprehend you. And I pray that you would apprehend each one of us, as Paul said. Apprehend us. Lay a hold of us for the very reason you called us to yourself in the first place. Show us where our part in demonstrating uh, the growth of Christ and the ligament nature of the body. Help us to be our part in your great scheme of things so that the body of Christ is built up in love. Give us some new goals. Lord, I pray that you'd make some of them small for us so we can really reach them. But help us to move progressively forward in our relationship with you so that next year we can say there's been real, real achievement and accomplishment in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for your time this morning, for being here. And I'll see you at the bookstore. I lost your numbering system in this.